Hello, and welcome to Conversations with Grandpa. This is the first episode of what I'm hoping is a series of episodes where we get to learn more about Grandpa's past and history and uh, just get to have conversations with him in this podcast form um, to save for posterity. In this first episode, you know, it, uh, I was learning how to use my microphone. We were set up in Grandpa's basement um, next to a furnace, which is not an ideal recording studio. Um, and I, I definitely hit the wrong setting on the microphone for interview. Um, so the audio is going to be a little rough. I apologize for that in advance. Um, but I'm still putting this out because uh, I thought our conversation was great. Um, so this is just going to be our conversation, very little editing going on, um, besides trying to make the audio a little bit better, uh, and maybe some, adding some transitions. But in this first episode, we're just going to talk through a little bit of, it's kind of an overview of Grandpa. Uh, the theme was going to be childhood, uh, but we kind of went all over the place. So hope you enjoy it. So I think we can we can just jump right into it. Uh, I might have you introduce yourself, whatever you want to say about what makes you you. Um, as we start this podcast, just as an introduction, name, maybe date of birth, where you were born. If you're excited to do a podcast about this, well, first of all, podcasts aren't in my. I listen to very few of them, but I do on occasion, and. Uh, when I do listen to a podcast, it's typically in the form of a sermon or something that I want to uh, uh, enhance my spiritual knowledge or life by listening to it. Uh, who I am? I'm almost 86, will be in November. was born in Redlands, California. Uh, my parents migrated to Redlands in the 20s. They did not know each other. My father came from Orange City, Iowa. My mom came from Sheldon, Iowa. And they met in Redlands and got married. The rest is history. Uh, there's only two siblings in our family. That's myself and my sister. My sister is six years older than I, and she lives presently in Minnesota and has for a long time because she married a farmer. And uh, naturally, with a lot of land, uh, that's where you stay. Uh, I've done a number of things in my life, and uh, to jump ahead, uh, in high school I swam on the swimming team and uh, was there for four years, lettered all four years, swam in the state finals, but there are no emblems uh, that bear my name or records or anything like that. An interesting sidelight is that Right after I graduated, swim clubs started, and the winning times in swimming at that time plunged drastically, primarily because of time spent on task and on intelligent uh, training for the athletes. It was just amazing, and so that the times that are being developed nowadays, uh, no one on our swim team could have even come close. However, we were a pretty good high school team. We took on the University of Texas and we beat them, and, uh, which was really a fun day in our life at that point in time. Uh, 
Um, did I go to college? Yes, went to Calvin College. Uh, question automatically comes up, why to Calvin? Well, number one, I came from a very poor family, not a lot of extra cash on hand, and the furthest you would drive or go to Calvin, it would automatically lower the tuition rate. And so my annual cost of going to Calvin was drastically reduced in comparison to my friends who had come from shorter distances. But even then, while I was in Calvin, uh, it was necessary for me to pay for my own tuition. And it's amazing how the hand of God works in this because situated in Grand Rapids was a place called Keeler Brass. And if you were a Calvin student and applied for work, you automatically got a job there. And so I did that and pledged to myself that I never wanted to work in a factory again. <laughs> However, I was sitting in a course of comparative anatomy, and biology was one of the things that just fascinated me. And the professor, his name was Benjelink, called me up and he says, Mr. Port, I want to talk to you after class. And I thought, oh boy, I wonder what I've done wrong now. But he got me aside and he says, you know, you're sleeping through my class. And it was an 8 a.m. class. He says, do you have a girlfriend? I says, no, I really don't. He says, well, how are you spending your time? And I says, I work at Keeler Brass. And he says, well, what time do you get in? I says, 3 a.m. <laughs> he says, no wonder you're sleeping through my class. Get a different job. <laughs> and I said, Professor, I need the money. I've got to earn my way through. He says, get a different job. So I looked up in the Grand Rapids press, different ads and so forth, and I saw an ad that sort of caught my fancy. And it said that if you work a certain amount of hours per week, and I thought, I can do that, then you can make X amount of money. And I thought, boy, that's a lot more attractive than what I'm getting. So I answered the ad, went downtown, interviewed, and believe it or not, it was cookware. Selling cookware to unmarried gals who would put it in their hope chest and be ready that when the magical day came that they would have their cookware bought. This was a fantastic thing that trained me because I was basically an introvert at that time. I was very shy, and so I was forced into a box of having to think on my feet. And I didn't get any money unless I sold. And once it started happening, it happened very, very nicely for me. God was good to me. And the other thing that really worked for me nicely is that I hired people that worked for me and I would get override on their sales. And quite a few of those boys just happened to be basketball team players for Calvin. And uh, the girls knew them, uh, their names, open doors and so forth. And so, um, as I said, God was good to me. And instead of having a debt to pay at the end of college, I had money in the bank. Um, wow. That, I mean, this is great. I, you're going to just interview yourself. I, I expected to have like <laughs> some conver or some questions. That well, I you said introduce you myself, and I'm, I've been all over the place. Yeah, so. no, it's hard to, I mean, how do you narrow down a life of 86 years? So I, I gave you a broad question and got a broad answer. I loved it. Yeah. Um, so just jumping back into kind of childhood, which is how I wanted to 
sort of format this first uh, episode or whatever we end up <laughs> doing with this. Um, but you you mentioned that you came from a poor family. Like what what did that look like day to day for you? Well, we always had food on the table. It wasn't, and we always had a place to rent. But we did not buy a home until I was in upper element, no, until I was in junior high age, okay? And that home worked very nicely because it was on three acres of oranges, and uh, my father had trucks. He was in the hay and grain business, and just to explain how that worked is he would buy hay in the Imperial Valley or in the Bakersfield area, and that would be sold to local dairymen within about a 30-mile radius of Redlands. And at that time, there were quite a few dairymen. None of them raised their own feed because the price of real estate was very prohibitive. So they had cows, they had milking barns, and they had long stacks of hay, which was their feed, which was what my dad sold and hauled into those dairies. And so this three acres was a nice little place to park the trucks when they weren't on the road. Mm. And that's where we did a lot of repairs and so forth. And it was also my job to make sure that the oranges uh, grew on an annual basis, and uh, that included disking and harrowing and furrowing and uh, irrigating them. Uh, All of that had to be done. And a lot of things in those days were done by hand. Bordering that property was a hedge that went the entire length of the property. So if you can picture the hedge about three foot wide, I cut that with hand shears because we didn't have an electrical cord uh, to do that and there weren't any available at that point in time, so it was all clipping by hand. Never thought anything of it. It was I had plenty of energy and so forth and that was just part of what I did. Yeah, how old were you when you started um, working uh, on the property and all of that? About 12. About 12. Yeah. Do you think that instilled, I don't know, I, I just view you as someone who's always <laughs> landscaping or doing something outside. Yeah. Uh, is that where you would, where you feel like you got that instinct for? I don't know, Mitch, if it's in genes or if it was based on past experiences. Um, right now I'm living in my own home. And I've had talks with Arlene, my wife, uh, should we ever get a condo? And we've both decided, no, we don't want to do that. Uh, we have a lot of satisfaction in work in living in this home, which is very senior citizen friendly, because all of our main services are on the first floor, and there's only two steps for entry into the house. and. Uh, we don't have to go to the basement on an ongoing basis or anything like that or go upstairs on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. And so we have a bedroom down here, laundry, cooking facilities. Uh, everything is on ground floor level. Yeah. The only thing that a condo would give us is somebody else would mow the lawn and somebody else would plow the snow. But condos don't make life any less busy for the female of the family. Mm-hmm. They still have to do the cleaning and so forth. So based on these factors, we're going to stay as long as we can, put it that way. Yeah, I think that's a great idea. Yeah. Um, can we jump back to uh, your parents? Because I, I don't know much about them. What, what were they like? What was kind of like 
your home life like? Dad wasn't home much because of the business he was in. Yeah. Uh, because he spent a lot of time on the road buying the hay and then hauling the hay. And as I got older, I helped him with that. And that was really, really hard work because on each load of hay, there was about 30 ton of hay. And that had to be loaded straight on the trucks and tied down. It was in bales much different than the bales you have around here. They were wire-tied and they would not have under great compression. And so a three-wire bale would weigh about 130 pounds. A two-wire bale uh, would weigh about 80 pounds. And so a truck full of these, as I said before, would weigh about, uh, haul about 30 ton. And then that had to be hauled into the dairies and stacked and stacked straight so it wouldn't fall over. Uh, that was just all part of the deal. Yeah. And so I learned to work at an early age. So along with hauling the hay and taking care of the property, my mother did a tremendous amount uh, working in the yard just because she wanted to do it. She had a great uh, display of roses and iris that went all the way out to the road. And it was very spectacular. It looked very, very nice. Uh, hard for people out here to visualize, but right in the middle of our front lawn was a monster palm tree. Wow. Yeah. That'd be cool. So, uh, how were, beyond, or I guess before 12 years old, how were, how were you spending your time at home? Did you have, like, games that you and your sister were playing? Um, was your mom involved uh, with kind of like... My mother worked. Chain? My okay. mother worked. This went back to the Great Depression. I was born in 1936, mm -hmm. and that was at the tail end of the Depression. At that time, almost no one had work. Uh, money wasn't coming in. It was just totally terrible. So my mother had to find a job. She found a job working for the Redlands Community Hospital in the kitchen, and she worked in the kitchen for the rest of her working career. Uh, okay, uh, this is Mitch from the future. Cutting in just real quick to say uh, that Grandpa had a phone call that went to, straight to his hearing aids uh, for a second, and it was cool, and we had a conversation about how cool technology is, uh, but that's irrelevant to uh, what we were talking about. So there's a weird cut here. Um, that's, that's what happened. Just, yep, go with it. It's cool. Being right after the Depression, uh, my mother had to go to work, as I just explained to you. Uh, Dad was in the hay and grain business. On He had just started at that point in time. Uh, prior to that time, during the Depression, he had gone with an uncle up into the high Sierras at about the 8,500 foot mark, panning for gold so that they would have income. Well, they never hit it rich, but they did get enough gold to put bread on the table and so forth. But that's how tough things were at those point in time. People just did whatever they could to get by. Yeah. But we always had a roof over our head. We always had food on the table. But we didn't own anything except our automobiles and uh, automobile. And uh, there were always old and a lot of times gave us all kinds of fits and they wouldn't start and so forth. A lot of mechanical problems, if I remember that. 
Uh, my earliest memory, you asked me a while back, what would that be? Yeah. I was thinking about that, Mitch, and uh, this is real. I was somewhere between one and two years old. I had a diaper on, I remember that. And uh, we lived on a street called Grove Street. Behind us was all oranges. See, Redlands was the orange capital of the world at that point in yeah. time, okay? The naval orange capital. And we lived right across the street from the president of the University of Redlands, which is a very palatial home. Ours was not palatial, but it was adequate. So I walked down to the neighbors, and they had a bunch of chickens running loose in the yard, which was not that unusual at that time. They were a breed called leghorns, uh, which are good for egg laying, but they had a couple of roosters that were extremely aggressive. And I was trying to get home, and I can remember those roosters were pecking at my diaper, <laughs> trying to keep me from going up the hill. And I'm screaming and hollering, and uh, I obviously made it up the hill, but I had a very distinct memory of roosters trying to keep me from going back to my mom. And uh, I must have been between one and two years old to be still wearing a diaper at that time. Yeah, that'd be, I mean, I can see how that memory sticks with you. That'd be traumatizing. <laughs> <laughs> um, you also mentioned in a previous conversation that uh, you were a troublemaker as a child. I'm wondering if you can define what you meant by troublemaker. And uh, I like, wasn't a troublemaker, but I, okay. I did naughty things. I, I did not incite anyone else to get in trouble. Mm -hmm. You asked me what I did when I was basically home alone by myself. Mm -hmm. See, my sister was six years older, so she would be in school. My mother would be in the hospital uh, working in the kitchen. What I didn't mention is I had a favorite aunt who lived with us who was single, but definitely not an old maid. She basically was my second mom, and she spoiled me. <laughs> Uh, she would give me this, she would give me that, and I can remember in high school there was this one sport coat I thought was really cool, and she made it possible that I got that sport coat, and so those are, those are some really good memories, but being on my own as a boy, I can remember having to take the trash out and put it into an incinerator and start it. I thought, what a waste of time, I'll put it on the wood pile and start it. Little did I realize that the woodpile was quite close to the garage. And my sister and I went out to get the mail, and I says, Gee, Jean, look at all that smoke. And she immediately knew we had a fire, and so she ran and called the fire department. The firemen obviously knew what had happened. And uh, I do not remember getting spanked or disciplined for that, because mm -hmm. my folks knew that I was very, very scared of those firemen and so forth. And I probably thought that they were going to put me in jail or something <laughs> like that. In fact, in the Redlands paper, the Daily Facts, uh, they would have an article that would appear once a week, five years ago today, ten years ago today. And I would read that very thoroughly and make sure that my fire never got mentioned in that. <laughs> And I you made, didn't want to be famous in that I, I made it through those difficult times. So, yeah, that's one of the naughty things that I did as a boy. Another thing is uh, I threw a cat in a smudge pot, which I thought was empty. <laughs> did you ever see a cat come out of a smudge pot? 
I, you might covered in oil. About three foot high. For me. Hmm? A smudge pot? Oh, a smudge pot is a circular thing, about like that. Okay. Okay, probably 10 gallons. And that would be with crank oil, old oil. Oh, gross. Okay? Yeah. And that had a stack on it. And so we had cold nights in the Redlands. Mm -hmm. And so to protect the fruit from freezing, if the temperature got down into the 20s for any period of time, they would have to go out and what they would call smudge. So all these smudge pots had a glow all around town. You could just see the glow. But then in the morning, you could see that putrid smoke, which would hang over the community, which was all black. The environmentalists would have gone absolutely berserk during yeah, that time. Had they, lungs too. Had they, yeah, it was definitely not good. And I'm sure that now that they've been outlawed, uh, since that time, they've used wind machines to circulate air through the fruit. And uh, that modifies the temperature somewhat to keep the air moving. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So the the cat came out of the smudge pot, just covered in motor oil. Yeah, crawled up on my grandma's lap. And, oh no! <laughs> <laughs> and she could only speak Dutch. She was uh, she couldn't speak English. She had come over from the old country, mm -hmm. and uh, I don't know exactly what she said in Dutch. It was probably not repeatable. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man! Well, I think that's a that's a great story to end our first episode on. Um, looking at the time here as well, but thanks for uh, agreeing to this interview. This is great. Do you feel positive about it or not? I feel great. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. How do you feel? I feel it's a mishmash. Oh, I I think that's going to be beautiful. I mean, I, what I really want is just a, a conversation, uh, just recording some conversations, okay. and having them for posterity. So. Yeah. Well, like I said, I thought that was great, um, and I really hope you did too. Um, thanks again to Grandpa for having that conversation with me, and thanks to you for listening. Hopefully, if we continue doing this, we'll be back in a couple weeks, and I'll fix some audio issues in the meantime. Uh, but thanks again, and I don't have a closing thing for this, so here's some music. <laughs>